You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series entitled Glory. So what we're doing is we're taking this idea of God's glory and we're exploring it in the fact that when Christ came, God now enabled us to receive his glory. And we've entitled this morning's message, Glory Embraced. Glory Embraced. And it's from Luke 2, 22 to 35. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. I encourage you to turn to your Bibles and to read these texts with me. This is God's word. It brings life. Before we talk about embracing glory, though, we need to remind ourselves of the definition of glory. Corey did a great job the last two weeks defining glory. Glory is that which is of great worth or splendor. It's that which grabs our attention. It grabs our affections. It draws us. Glory is like this great magnet, this, this cosmic magnet of magnets that draws us to something bigger than us, something greater than us. And it draws us to bow down and worship at the feet of God. It connects us to something bigger than ourselves. But here's the problem. At the beginning of time, at the creation that drawing, that connection from that magnet was broken. You know how magnets work, right? Opposites attract. But if you turn that magnet around, instead of attracting, what happens? They repel. And sadly, at the beginning of time, though we were drawn to that glory, the glory for which we were made, and it was good and it was right, and we were in paradise, our father, all of our fathers, we have one father, you know, Adam. Be interesting to find out in heaven what he looks like, right? Probably like me. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> Our father Adam chose to reverse his entire orientation. Chose to rebel against God. Opposites attract. God is God. I'm not. And as long as I understand that, that attraction is there. That glory is there. But the moment that Adam said, you know what? Instead of worshiping God, I'm going to worship creation myself. Forget about worshiping God. I want to be God. And that moment, boom, repelling. It's called sin. Scripture captures this for us. It's the problem. It's in Romans 1, 22 and 23 on the screen. Claiming to be wise... They, we, mankind, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We need glory. That's why we watch football games late at night. We're hoping our team will win. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. That's why we're attracted to all the stuff that we're attracted to. That's why great feats, uh, great wonders, great achievements attract us. We want glory, but we are upside down. And the very glory we want repels us. What happened in the garden when Adam decided to be, want to be God rather than worship God? What's the first thing he did? He ran from God, and we've been running ever since. 
Christmas story is the story of God restoring glory to you, my friend. I mean, you got little elements of it, right? We're made in the image of God. Some of you are very, very smart people who have invented some incredible things. And you touch that glory just a little bit. And in the midst of that invention, it's just a mess, right? (laughs) You almost lose your mind. Some of you maybe were great athletes. Some of you have done very heroic things. You've served in our military. Some of you are very successful. You touch the glory for a moment, but it's tainted because it's not the glory. The glory is God's glory. But apart from something happening, we cannot embrace that glory in our fallen natural state. It repels us. We run from it. So this Christmas, the good news is that God has sent a Savior who would change our hearts, who would turn us around, who would give us what we long for, his glory. Now, it's with that understanding that we're going to read our text and our need to embrace glory. Hear God's word. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Joseph and Mary brought him, Jesus, the baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he, Simeon, came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have promised, prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This text occurs exactly 40 days after Jesus was born, 40 days after the text that Corey preached last week, 40 days after in the darkness of a field, a bunch of shepherds, this announcement was made 40 days after in a little feeding trough, maybe even in a cave somewhere in Bethlehem, the baby Jesus was born. And now Joseph and Mary, after having unwrapped glory, are now embracing glory. God is revealing this glory in a child in the temple. And all they're doing is they are obeying God's word. They are worshiping God, doing what the law commands them. And in so doing, they and Simeon teach us how to embrace God's glory. Those instructions can be summed up in this one sentence. Embrace glory 
by worshiping God, believing God, and proclaiming Christ crucified. Embrace glory by worshiping God, by believing God, and by proclaiming Christ crucified. Point one, worship God. Here's the main point, folks. We were made to worship. The problem is, and we're going to worship. That's not the question. The question is, who or whom will you worship? Will you worship yourself, this creation, money, pleasure, whatever it is? Or will you worship God? And so the first point here is that we embrace glory when we worship God. If you're here and you're not a believer, the gospel is very strong in this entire message, but particularly here. You have to first worship God. You've got to repent of worshiping yourself or whatever it is you're worshiping, and you have to worship Jesus. May that be the case for you this morning. May you unwrap that gift or God unwrap it for you. May you embrace the glory that you truly will long for, even though you don't understand maybe what it is. How did Joseph and Mary worship God? Well, look at verses 22 and 23. We, they did exactly what God commanded them to do. No time to go there, but in Exodus 13, verses 2 and 12, write that down. Study it with your children today. Exodus 13, verses 2 and 12. The law of the Lord said that the firstborn male had to be brought into the temple and presented to God. And that's exactly what they were doing. And then in verse 24, we see another law that particularly the woman had to be, a sacrifice had to be made for her because of her impurity. You know, for the Jews, uh, blood would be something you cannot obviously, um, uh, can't eat anything that has the blood. The blood has to be drained. And that, that's an impurity. So 40 days after giving birth, uh, the, the couple had to come and an offering had to be made for cleansing. Very important distinction here, church. Jesus was brought into the temple not for cleansing because Jesus had no sin. Again, if you're here, you're not a Christian. First of all, thank you for coming. But clearly, Jesus had no sin. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. The line of sin from Adam all the way through every human being born on earth is clear. Joseph and Mary had sin. Jesus did not have sin. He was brought into the temple to be dedicated for the very service of God. We see the Trinity here. I want you to see the Trinity here. You understand the Trinity, right? One God, three persons. They work together in salvation. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish redemption for us. And God the Holy Spirit, who we see working here, is the one that causes us to understand it and gives us a new heart. You see the Trinity functioning here. So, in essence, Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus to the temple, to the dedication of God's service. They didn't know exactly what that meant. They're about to find out. But Joseph and Mary, and particularly Mary in this case, having given birth, needed forgiveness or cleansing of her impurity. You see that in verse 24? Look at it with me. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Where does it say that in the word of the Lord? On the screen. Leviticus 12.8. This is a very important scripture. The gospel is found throughout the Bible. The gospel doesn't start in the New Testament or with the gospels. It starts with the very first word of the Bible, and it goes all the way through the Bible. Here we see a picture of the gospel right here in Leviticus 12.8. This is the instruction to a woman who's given birth. And if she, the woman who's given birth, Mary in this case, cannot afford a lamb, and she couldn't, 
Then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, just any pigeon you see out here flying around in South Florida, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. Listen, and the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. Mary could not afford a lamb, so the law allowed her to offer up two pigeons. But, oh, friends, Mary was bringing the Lamb of God into the temple who would one day die for her sins in a once and for all sacrifice. She didn't know it yet. She was about to hear the gospel in just a moment through Simeon. They were worshiping God. They were saying, God, we trust you. We're yours. We don't understand it fully, but we've come here to consecrate Jesus, our firstborn male son, to your service. And we're coming here to bring a sacrifice for our sins. What they didn't know is one day Jesus would make that sacrifice for their sins on the cross. Her sacrifice of the two pigeons was foreshadowing Jesus' sacrifice on the cross 33 years later. Do you worship God, friend? Oh, please do. Embrace glory. And it starts by worshiping God. Point two. Embracing glory moves to believing God. You have a transition in this text. Look for these transitions in the text. Think of it as a scene, particularly as we preach through these kinds of narratives. We'll be doing that as we get into Isaiah next year. There's going to be scenes. Think of it like a movie. You have an opening scene. You have an introduction of a problem. You have a climactic scene where where good conquer evil or whatever, and then you have a resolution, and then you have a conclusion. That's the same thing here. So notice, we introduce a new character into this little scene here. Look at verse 25. Now... It's an important word. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. We don't know a whole lot about Simeon, but listen to how God describes Simeon. Verse 25. And this man was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon was a believer. What was he believing, church? Well, it tells us what he's believing in verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see that there at the end of verse 25? That is a direct reference and connects Simeon's hope and what he was believing in in what Isaiah the prophet wrote some 700 years earlier in Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 5 on the screen. This is what Simeon was believing in. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall be made level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When Isaiah wrote that, he wrote that about a people who were about to go into exile because of their sin through Babylonian captivity. And 700 years later, Simeon, a Jew, believed this promise, and he was under captivity, the Roman captivity, and he was hoping for this Savior. And God said, that Savior is coming, and I'm not going to let you die until you see that Savior. And he believed. Do you believe? Can you imagine Simeon walking through the streets of Jerusalem 
waiting for that Savior. In verse 26, we see clearly it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I could just imagine him. Maybe every once in a while, maybe on Wednesdays, right? What do you do on Wednesdays? Instead of working out at the Y, you say, you know what? I know that the Savior is coming. I'm going to just go into the temple. Because listen, in the temple, you always had young couples bringing little babies that they just had. And they were dedicating the little baby. And so Simeon said, I wonder if it's today. And I can see him walking through the temple, maybe freaking out some of those young couples. And just like pulling back the blanket from the baby's face. Nah. Pulling back the blanket from the baby's face. Nah. Imagine if you would have pulled back the blanket when you were a baby and saw your face. But anyways, <laughs> on this day, because right, this happens in real time, right? You think angels were singing and organs were playing and they were all in church when this was going on? This is Simeon, probably a poor, maybe middle-class guy. This is a bunch of poor people. Joseph and Mary had nothing. They didn't have the land. They weren't in the ritzy, you know, reserved only, you know, fast pass lane in Disney place, you know. They had nothing. They had two little turtle doves. They were totally unremarkable. Totally. Amongst a bunch of unremarkable couples shuffling through the temple. I mean, 40 days after you gave birth, how did you feel? And Mary's in the temple, you know, well, yeah, walking, you know, Joseph said, all right, honey, we got to be here. It cost them money. He'd been out of work for a while. Even two little pigeons is a lot if you don't have anything. I'd love it that God reveals his glory to those that the world would walk right by. He didn't go to the section where they were offering the lambs because they had some big bucks. Went to the section where they're offering the two little pigeons. Glory be to God in the highest. God is so humble. So powerful. I love God. I'm so glad that He is kind and merciful. Chooses the weak and the poor, the ones that the world would say, Yeah, praise God. So, on this day, again, amazing passage. Look at verse 27. And He came in the Spirit into the temple on this day, 40 days after Jesus' birth. And when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Can you imagine if you were Mary, maybe 15, maybe 13, and you've got your baby, your firstborn, and this old man walks up. I don't know what he looked like. Maybe he looked like one of us. Not that you're old, but I'm old. And, you know, gray hair, whatever. And he takes the baby from your arms. Because the Spirit of the Lord said, that's the baby. Yes, that's right. They would never allow that at Miami Children's Hospital, right? Or Nicholas Hospital. (laughs) They'd arrest the guy. (laughs) But this is God working. He's in the Spirit. Are you in the Spirit? He's in the Spirit. And he grabs this baby, Jesus. And he says the most amazing things. He is praying. I believe this is a prayer. He's going to prophesy in just a moment. But I believe right now he's praying. I think maybe he's even praising God. You see where it says um, in verse 28, and he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, I think this is one of those prayers. It's one of those things that we do here in church, right? You bless the Lord. You praise the Lord. That word can mean a lot of things. I think this is a prayer. It's just sort of a prayer of worship. Like, 
This is the one. I believe. And God said, this is the child. Listen to what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I can die now. Why? According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Remember Isaiah's prophecy? This is the savior for all the nations, not just Israel. You've prepared this sacrifice, this savior for all the people. And Joseph and Mary are sitting off to the side thinking, yes, I only brought in two pigeons. But now all of a sudden, this is the savior? My child? A light for revelation to the Gentiles, verse 32, and for glory to your people, Israel. If you've seen Jesus, you're ready to die. Have you seen Jesus? I mean, seen him this way as your savior. He is all that you need. He is the lamb who will die for their sins, the sins of God's people 33 years later. Jesus is the one, and Simeon believed and embraced glory. Point three, to embrace God's glory, you not only need to worship God, repent and believe. You not only need to believe his promises, but you need to proclaim Christ crucified. Where does it say that, Al? Well, let's just start with Joseph and Mary. Because I believe Simeon preaches the gospel to Joseph and Mary. First of all, if you look at their reaction, look at verse 33. After, after Simeon says what he says in praise to God, Joseph and Mary listening, look at verse 33. And his father, Joseph, and his mother, Mary, marveled at what was said about him. He marveled at what was said about him, about Jesus. Riken says this very well in the following quote. What a remarkable promise to make about a poor child whose parents could barely scrape together enough pigeons to make an offering. Who in Israel would have believed or would believe that their little boy would become the savior of the world? Now, here's the Christ crucified. Simeon then turns to Mary And it is said that the reason he said this to Mary is because quite possibly Joseph wasn't alive when the time for Christ's crucifixion came some 33 years later. Maybe, maybe not. But he turns to Mary and he says to Mary, behold, this child, now he's prophesying, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, Simeon is proclaiming Christ crucified. He's telling Mary, those pigeons simply foreshadow this lamb, who is the lamb of God, whom you couldn't afford a lamb, but God has actually given you the lamb to bring, to dedicate to him, to prepare for that once and for all sacrifice in 33 years. And that will be very, very difficult for you. And he will be opposed And ultimately, he will judge all the nations. That's that last little part there. Now, I believe Simeon was referring to one passage in the Old Testament that I want to look at on the screen. Isaiah 8, 14 to 15. Isaiah 8, 14 to 15 on the screen. 
Remember, now we're 700 years earlier. We're, we're, we're at the prophet Isaiah. He's prophesying about this Savior. Jesus is that Savior. And he says this. And he, the Savior, the Messiah, the one, the baby Jesus, will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. This is what Simeon is quoting. Not quoting, but citing. They shall be snared and taken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a, few, of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. <clears throat> and I believe that Peter, many years later, <clears throat> whenever First Peter was written, maybe 60 AD, maybe some 60 years later, it's going to now refer back to this moment with Simeon and refer back to this prophecy in Isaiah 8. I believe he actually quotes it in the following text. This is, I'm trying to make to you the point that to embrace the glory of God, you must proclaim Christ crucified because it is at the crucifixion, it is at the cross that the glory of God is revealed because it's at the cross that we are able to be changed and given a new heart so that we no longer repel and the glory of God no longer is repelling to us, but at the cross we're changed. So now the glory of God attracts us and that is the greatest blessing any human being could ever have. At the cross, we're forged in a new heart, a new life, that we might know God's glory. It's at the cross that God's glory embraces us so that we can embrace it. Without the cross, we are lost. Now, obviously, the resurrection, yes. Obviously, Christ's perfect life, he still had to do all of that. But the cross is the focal point where what was done The curse that was cursed in the garden is undone and the cursing becomes a blessing because Christ was cursed, the Lamb of God. See, that's all that all that freight comes into what Peter writes here in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. As you come to him, he's speaking of Christ, a living stone rejected by men, exactly what Simeon said would happen. But in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He's quoting here, Isaiah 8. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. Jesus is the living stone. He will be the one who will be either for the fall or for the rising of many. As Simeon said, he will be rejected. He will not be received. And he will be rejected by the so-called builders of that time. But he is actually the cornerstone accepted by God. See, it's Christ's sacrifice on the cross to atone for the sins of his people. It's that very sacrifice that will pierce Mary's soul. She will watch it with her own eyes. But that very piercing of her soul that will cause her grief will also make her whole and save her. Now, it's hard to understand. It shows you the compassion of God, No. This woman who gives birth to this child, 
born of a virgin will be grieved by his death. And God reaches out to her and comforts her 33 years before it's actually going to happen. But then he also communicates to her, but that very death will save you and all of my elect, all of my people. Wow. That's an amazing moment. Listen, put yourself in that moment. Put yourself in redemptive history. Put on some sandals, get on a robe, shuffle over to the temple, and just stand on the side and watch this happen. Watch it happen. It's real. It's real. And we benefit from it. And that last little phrase, look at verse 35. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let me tell you what what that is right there. Jesus Christ, the one who would be crucified for you and me, who would hang naked on a cross, who would be broken and beaten for your sins and mine, will return as the judge. The thoughts of many will be revealed. There'll come a day that God will reveal every one of your thoughts. And apart from Christ, that means judgment and destruction, eternal judgment and damnation. But because of Christ, we have forgiveness. We have mercy. No one gets away with anything. But a Christian says, all that I did is on him. He's the lamb. Just as Mary came with those two pigeons and said, there is my cleansing. We say, Jesus, the lamb of God, is my cleansing. And it's a certain fact. That he's going to judge everybody and everything. Friends, don't stumble in unbelief over Christ, the rock. But believe in him. Don't be scandalized by the cross. For it is only at the cross that we have any hope of glory. It is at the most non-glorious place that the very glory of God shines brightest. It's at the cross that God's glory embraced us so that we might embrace his glory. What's the appeal? Here's the appeal, church. Like this massive magnet, God draws us to himself by first embracing us on the cross where he changed our nature so that we would then be attracted to him. Are you attracted to God? If you are, it's because of what Christ did and his perfect life and his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, sending you his spirit, that we would embrace him and his glory Because he first embraced us in our sin, took it on the cross. Church, let's go forth to worship God. Let's go forth to believe God. And, oh, church, let's go forth to proclaim Christ crucified as the only hope of glory. Let's pray. Worship team, would you please join me here in the front? Father, I pray that you would give every heart here a vision of your glory. Even those that don't know you, you would peel back the the pages of their own consciences, you would give them the grace that only you provide in Christ. And Lord, if there's darkness, bring light. If there's, if there's just stubborn rebellion, Lord, in a kind way, bring them to their knees. Lord, for those of us who believe, but yet the unbelief is right there, give us fresh faith. Lord, let us be transported back to that moment. Let us be transported to the future. Let us see what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. It's all ours right now by faith in you because you've embraced us. Lord, let us respond with joy this Christmas. And Lord, I pray this church would be a church that proclaims Christ crucified. It's a church that would say, our God saves That this song, that this proclamation will be on our lips every day. 
We would do it with such joy and faith. Oh, Lord, give us grace to proclaim Christ crucified by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.